0: is real, there's power in your name, we find hope and we trust in your ways, we need real. Jesus is
1: real. Whether it's racial, whether it's ethnic, whether it's based on gender, almost everybody, when they talk about the philosophy of reconciliation, will always use Jesus. You know why? Because in order for peace to be made, somebody has to be self-sacrificial. In areas of conflict, self-sacrifice has to happen. Somebody has to be willing to take it on the proverbial chin in aspects of reconciliation.
0: Many times in situations of conflict, no one wants to take a fall. Everyone thinks they're the one who's right, and they'll fight for their way. Today, Pastor Daniel will be promoting a lifestyle of peacemaking, however, which goes against this philosophy. As you embrace acts of making peace, you'll find that someone has to sacrifice their position to bring reconciliation. It may need to be you who steps aside so someone else can have life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5, as he continues his message, The Beauty of Faithfulness.
1: In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs where natural needs are satisfied and natural giftings are fruitfully employed all under the arch of God and in his love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's a powerful quote, isn't it? Now, I would read it again, but you're you not going to write it down anyway. You can pick it up online, or I gave you his name, Cornelius Plandigo. You find it, definition of peace. It's the best definition I ever heard, because we often think of a peacemaker as somebody who things are broken, and they're trying to get in there and help, or somebody who in the midst of brokenness has got like the Yoda calm, so to speak. But... Peacemaking in the Bible is about something totally different. It's the way a person who is a follower of Jesus lives, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that is seeking to remake the world in a way that the world is broken, to remake it, that everything works together in the way things ought to work. Now, when I use a definition like that, I realize that for most of us, you start freaking out because you're like, wow, we are so far from that right now. And listen, we are so far from that right now. There's never been a generation that has ever experienced shalom like I just explained, except for Adam and Eve in the garden before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only time in the history of humanity that everything worked the way it was supposed to. Uh, Milton said it was paradise lost. But part of the story of Jesus is paradise being regained, reacquired. And what God is looking to do in your life and in my life, in this generation, is for that as we respond to Jesus, we become proactive makers of peace. All things working together the way that they should universal flourishing on this side of eternity. That's what God has redeemed us for. See, to me, this is important because so often in church, we hear about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, which is the good news. But that good news now has radical implications on how you live your life. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. He died and he rose again for me. And I am just as a maker of rivalry and conflict as somebody who doesn't know Jesus. See, the cross bears down on our realities. The cross bears down on the way that we handle ourselves in the midst of conflict. But for so many of us as followers of Jesus, we're allowing a world of conflict to now say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just as conflict creating as somebody who doesn't know Jesus, which is not the good news of Jesus. If you're here today, and I believe many of you are, where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the cross and the empty tomb has radical implications on how you live. And one of the ways that the cross transforms the way that we live is now we are not conflict creators, we are peacemakers. Then you have to ask yourself, is that you? Are you a conflict maker or a peacemaker? Now, I know right now I've been in a Christian long enough, been in church long enough that everyone's like, oh, I'm a peacemaker. Of course I am. I'm a Christian. Are you really? Like, how much discord are you finding yourself involved in? How much discord are you unilaterally creating in your relationships, on your job? See, what I find with, as a follower of Jesus, part of this is that I know the Bible well enough that I can have all these ways that I can justify being a conflict creator. Well, you know, I've found my boldness in Christ, speaking truth to power. (laughs) Okay. So you have to realize, your and my standard for living is Jesus. You know what they said about Jesus? Listen to this. A prophecy about Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know this, you've heard this Christmas time every year. For unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of his increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this now you get that how Jesus he comes and he's all these things he's the prince of peace and the government will be upon it he holds the government up so in our Peacemaking. we realize that all of us as the body of Christ with unique giftings and talents and passions all find avenues within this world to be proactive makers of peace. See, God doesn't want us to be monolithic in our peacemaking efforts. He realized that he's created all of us with unique talents and gifts that he wants to use that. that In every area of society, there are proactive makers of the way things ought to be. So the key for each one of us is, what is that area of passion that you're pursuing that you are proactively making peace? Changing the world in small ways that now all of a sudden the world is being transformed by Jesus through your life. All of us should have these areas. All of us should. None of us should say there's not an area that I am working proactively to make peace. And here's the thing. In a lot of those areas, there is a lot of conflict. Like, I'm a big fan of people being passionate about politics. Right? I mean, people are going to be passionate about it anyway. I'm very concerned with the way as followers of Jesus, we hold that passion. Because the the world we live in says, if you are have a political bent, you are only conflict-driven. And then that filters into the body of Christ where instead of being peacemakers, even though you have different visions on how the world should work, a Christian in the political sphere who's angry is useless. So we have to hold those politics and channel that passion in a way that we are still... Making peace even when we disagree with somebody on how it's supposed to work. So the key for each one of us, what are those areas of passion that God has for you? And are you proactively making peace? Are you saying, I'm going to invest my time and my energy, my talents and my treasures in areas of brokenness in this world in such a way that small changes occur. Now listen, many of us, we don't get involved at all because we feel like it's too big and I'll never get to anywhere. It's like, what can I do? Listen, Teresa of Calcutta said it this way, if you want to feed a 100 people who are starving, start with just one. We have to learn how to just be, take the step that we're on, to do what's right in front of us and don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't don't think that it's inconsequential to change one person's life. Don't think it's not worth your energy to try and do good for one person. Because what happens is is you do good for one person and then they know somebody. and And then before you know it, as you continue to walk in this peacemaking journey that God has you on, before you know it, you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Like there's a man named Jean Venier, and brilliant guy, but he saw in his generation, this was in the 50s, the way that they treated people with serious mental and physical disabilities. They were pulled away from society, they were kept like they didn't want to infect other people. That was the way it was. And this man said this is wrong, and so he decided that he was going to invite two of these men into his home. Cuz he wanted them to live with dignity and with community, right? And he called it the ark. In his heart, God was inviting him to save these people from the destruction of anonymity. And now across the world, there's 300 arks where all these people are. And obviously, as he did that, the culture has changed with the way it feels about people with disabilities. Not scared. Now it's like these are our most vulnerable that we care for. But it began with one man taking a step with two guys. And now a generation later, there are tens of thousands of people who are being touched. And the influence of that, what he did, has influenced all these other things. But it began with one man choosing to do something that mattered. So, peacemakers make peace. And listen, the greatest way to make peace is to be at peace with God. That's the thing. I've always said it. That's the downside of the hippie movement. the give peace a chance movement It's the right idea, but if you don't have peace first with God and then the peace of God, you can't ever have external peace. So the good news of Jesus is the ultimate act of peacemaking, but then all of the implications of what it means to be at peace with God, that is all the reality of how we live our lives every day. So peacemakers make peace. And then we see again in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemaker for they shall be called what? Sons of God. So I'd say it this way, peace characterizes God's family. Peace characterizes God's family. Now, of course, I need to say it that when 2,000 years ago, when Jesus spoke these things, when it says, for they shall be called sons of God, this was still a time when people would think of mankind, speaking of all of humanity. Now we live in a culture that is sensitive to gender distinctions. So when in the Bible, when you says sons of God, it means sons and daughters of God. Right, if Jesus said these words today, he'd probably say these are the children of God. Right, because now we live in a gender-neutral, sensitive environment. So when Jesus says the Son of God, he means the people of God, all of the the family of God. It doesn't mean he only likes guys; none of that kind of stuff. Right, because every once in a while, people say, "I can't read the Bible because it says sons of God and my brothers, and what about the women?" It's like, oh, hello, you know, <laughs> but. People get weird, you know, it's like, it's an antique document. It's like this is from 2000 years ago. They had a different set of things they were looking at. They weren't worried about that at this point. But it, what it means is that as men and women of God, those of you who are born again, who are children of God, you've been born again by Jesus. Guess what? You should be a peacemaker. It's the characteristic of God's family. And this is a reality for all of us. Now, of course, it says in Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the good news of Jesus is the good news. We proclaim that peace you know, it's been beautiful as we always do this, each one, reach one, where people who are saying, these are people who I know and love who don't yet know Jesus. Some of you, you may have been written on that list that you got invited because somebody who cares about you says, I'm walking with Jesus and Jesus is doing a work in my life. And I want this for my friends. I want this for my loved ones. I want it for my coworkers. And one of the reasons we do that is because we want us as a church family to realize that the ultimate act of peacemaking is Jesus on the cross. It is textbook peacemaking. Listen, if you look at any movement of reconciliation, whether it's racial, whether it's ethnic, whether it's based on gender, almost everybody, when they talk about the philosophy of reconciliation, will always use Jesus. You know why? Because in order for peace to be made, somebody has to be self-sacrificial. In areas of conflict, self-sacrifice has to happen. Somebody has to be willing to take it on the proverbial chin in aspects of reconciliation. If we were going to pray, and I think we should, that the U.S. government and its partisan polarization of Democrat and Republican would actually, oh my goodness, work together, like we teach ourselves in elementary school, work together. If that was gonna happen, you realize that both sides need to take it on the chin. But you know what it is, right as a Republican senator would work with a Democratic president, they'd get voted out of office the next go around. If a Democratic senator were to work with a Republican president, guess what happens in the next cycle? They get voted out of office. And my friends, this is why, this is where it is. Because in order for peace to be made, guess what? Someone has to be willing to sacrifice. And my friends, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. You realize that the cross of Jesus, it's all about God saying, you, me, the world is broken, and in order to fix it, Jesus is going to stand in our place. The good news is not that Jesus got things wrong. The good news is that Jesus got everything right, and he stood in our place, and we get things wrong. And he dies for us, even knowing that we still get things wrong, but he's like, "I'm going to take it on the chin, so to speak. I'm going to receive what you deserve because you can't handle it, and someone needs to be willing to die so reconciliation can happen." I mean, you look at the civil rights movement. How many people took things on the chin for that? You look at any situation. I mean, you think of World War II. In order for the Jewish people still to be alive today, how many servicemen from all different nations gave up their life fighting Nazis? See, Jesus shows us that reconciliation and peacemaking is costly. And that's another reason why people don't do it today. You realize if you want to be a proactive peacemaker in the brokenness in your family, on your job, in this world... You have to be willing to die a little for it to happen. And when people don't follow the quintessential peacemaker Jesus, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give it. Our culture doesn't value peacemaking at all because we don't have any models of it in our secular society. We don't have any models of it because we've divorced ourselves from Jesus. But for those of you who are here who are followers of Jesus, guess what? This is the journey we're on. And when I hear about church splits, this thing, that thing, I'm like, blessed are the peacemaker for they shall be called the family of God. So listen, we can't change other things, other people, but we all have control over us. How are you doing being a great example of a characteristic of the family of God? Are you proactively making peace? Are you willing to die a little bit so others may have life this is the journey of what it means to live the beautiful life that jesus died and rose again that we'd have now to link it now with our fruit of the spirit the fruit of peacemaking is faithfulness now think about how powerful that is for a second Right, Because we see, blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God. And then you link it, the seventh beatitude with the seventh characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of peacemaking is faithfulness. Now, I think this is kind of powerful because when peace is not there, very often people want to make peace, but at some point they fatigue in the process. Right, Like if peace doesn't happen in a moment... Right? Then finally, like, you know, forget this. It's not working. And then you link it this idea that the fruit of peacemaking is faithfulness. You and I need to continue to be steady on in the passion and the reality that making peace is costly and you have to be willing to continue to pay the cost. Now, think about this in your own relationship with Jesus. How faithful has Jesus been to you? I mean, has anyone, when you gave your life to Jesus, on the day you said yes to Jesus and God justified you, he put you at peace with himself, how many of you, every single day since then, you've been rock solid? Anybody? Anybody just like, yeah, every, I've been so rock solid every single day? No, no one has been. But Jesus has been what? He's faithful. See, Jesus doesn't quit when it gets hard or when he gets tired. Jesus just keeps on showing up. And that's how peacemaking happens. You have to be willing just to keep on showing up good times and bad times when you feel like it, when you don't. And faithfulness is in short supply in our generation, isn't it? People who can be faithful and steady on. Proverbs 28, 20 says it this way. A faithful man will abound with blessings. A faithful person will abound with blessings. But how are you doing being faithful? Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, he is still faithful. Why? He can't deny himself. See, God is ever faithful. And he will always be faithful. It's who he is. And in order for peace to be made, faithfulness is a necessity. Now, here's the thing about faithfulness. The reason it's so easy to not be faithful is because faithfulness is hard. Because faithfulness costs, doesn't it? And do you see how powerful this is though? Because because it costs, that's what makes it so important. I mean, in order to be married to the same person through every up and down of life, that's a big cost, isn't it? All the wives are like,
0: amen.
1: Amen. I just hope to make it through football season. Right? There's a cost to it. In order to be a faithful friend, there's a cost to it. You know, I've heard it said, you'll know who your friends are by who's around when everything's going wrong. I mean, it's real easy to be a great friend when everything's awesome. When it's all going great, but when things are hitting the skids, then you really know who your friends are. And this is what faithfulness is all about. It's the ability to continue to abide and show up and be there, even when things are bad. And my friends, listen, Jesus is the most faithful person who's ever lived. I mean, when a follower of Jesus makes terrible decisions, does Jesus ever just abandon them? I mean, you see, Peter denied Jesus, and then Jesus restores him and cooks him a meal. David dishonored God, but Jesus wasn't done with him. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, Jesus is perfect, and we are not. But God invites each one of us, although imperfect, just to keep showing up.
0: Jesus is No one has been solidly faithful for all of time. That includes you, no matter how hard you've tried. Only Jesus is faithful at every moment, and only he will continue to be faithful to you in your walk with him. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you, though, to attempt to faithfully promote peace in every situation. You'll do a much better job of it if you invite Jesus to be with you and work through you to give others grace and love. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that
1: there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if, that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to hundred. S A V E D. To 51400 and my team will get in touch with you we want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on
0: this journey now my team we want to share some stuff with you so don't go anywhere thanks pastor daniel you know the bible says that when one person comes to jesus the angels in heaven rejoice and we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with pastor daniel Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel brings you to a difficult topic, persecution. As a follower of Jesus who is actively living and loving as he would, you'll be noticed You'll find that not everyone is open to the word of God and they'll do what they can to stop you. Don't lose heart in those times. Jesus promises to be with you and give you strength to keep sharing the truth of the gospel. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.